Hello, my name is Mark Iskowitz. I'm editor-at-large for MMM, and I'm super excited to be part of today's sponsored podcast with OptimizeRx. Here with me today are Chris DiCostanzo, VP Client Relations, Patient Engagement Solutions, and Rebecca Love, Principal Clinical Innovation, both with OptimizeRx. Chris and Rebecca, thanks so much for joining us here today. It's good to be here. Mark, so thankful for you having us. Thank you. Absolutely. Just thought I'd get started with a question here about OptimizeRx and how you both are involved with the business. Actually, it's an interesting story for me because um, I actually joined OptimizeRx as part of an acquisition. So uh, patient engagement for OptimizeRx actually started as a company called CareSpeak Communications almost a decade ago. Uh, and OptimizeRx bought the company a couple of years ago to essentially bring in patient engagement into the in-EHR portfolio of products that the company had already had. So I joined the company at that point, and I've spent the last five years basically working on executing patient engagement projects for uh, CareSpeak and OptimizeRx. And Mark, I ended up joining OptimizerX about a year and a half ago um, when I knew the CEO, Will Febo, of the organization. And Will was transitioning the company really of OptimizerX to really focus on patient engagement. I'm a nurse, nurse practitioner by training, spent a lot of my career in digital health and recognized the importance that driving patients in any solution when it comes to healthcare, specifically around pharma, the importance that you need a voice of a clinician in that. So I joined OptimizerX as the first clinician on the team and spend time working with their teams on both project development and delivery of messaging to make sure that we're actually doing what we're saying we're doing, which is improving outcomes for patients. Absolutely. I, I could see how both of your backgrounds really ladders up to that uh, ultimate goal. How has the last year been for you all? How has OptimizeRx kind of weathered the events of the past year? Well, I guess I'll start on that one. I mean, we've actually seen a fair amount of tailwinds as a result of the pandemic. I think it's pretty well known that communication inside the doctor's office for sales reps is, you know, basically has gone to almost zero. Uh, and so many of the services that our company provides, especially in the EHR space, um, have become paramount to, uh, to many of our clients. And so we've actually had a very good year in terms of helping not just do what we were doing before, but also uh, invent new services to try and help the pharmaceutical industry communicate with both doctors and patients. I think everybody was disrupted, Mark. I don't know about you and how you felt with everything that was going on, but people say that, you know, healthcare changed more in eight weeks than it had changed in decades before it. And that digital transformation and adoption of technology was just huge in that space. Absolutely. Yeah. The you know, adoption by pharma and mass of, you know, digital health and uh, digital solutions to try to overcome that divide of not being able to have the same access in doctor's offices was, was pretty striking. You know, speaking of that, the OptimizeRx communications platform is integrated right into the physician's EHR. So it offers a way to deliver relevant information and services to HCPs and their patients right at the point of care. You know, obviously, what is the right piece of information at the right time will differ depending on where the patient is in their journey. Can you talk about how you think about that journey vis-a-vis -vis getting consent to deliver that information? It's been a lot of fun, actually, over the last couple of years um, working with industry because I don't know that pharma's ever been more interested in innovating around these things. And so we've had a lot of success working with our clients to sort of try to tip the scales of the way they interact with patients and look for new and different ways that we can um, interact with them. So just as an example, we worked on a product launch in this past year where we actually work with the brand manager to create a completely digital copay offer that we then tried to leverage to get patients as they were acquiring that digital offer to also become interested in and join 
uh, a patient support program. So this is a group that had never done anything but physical copay cards before and realizing what was going on in the space, were able to work with us to basically create a digital offer offered primarily through SMS, where the patient would text to save and get support essentially. And so that program resulted in over 100,000 registrations um, in under a year, which was wildly successful for both them and for us. And, and the info could be anything from copay to education to digital therapeutics, right? And as more pharma companies turned to digital health tools last year, did you see a significant jump in any one form of content? Well, we try to do very well-rounded pieces uh, of communication. I mean, in the old days, it basically was mostly transactional communication. Um, and so we've moved to sort of this more holistic approach. It really depends on the sponsor and what particular business problem that they're trying to solve, whether they're trying to help patients get over unexpected side effects, or they're trying to get patients to move beyond just taking the medication to also changing lifestyle um, um, and other habits, uh, you know, it really is dependent on, on what the client is looking for. But we always encourage our clients, no matter what we're working on, to think about each of those elements in terms of uh, adding some of those into the programs that we provide. And I know that also includes real world patient insights, thanks to a recent partnership with Komodo Health, right? Yes, actually, I know. I think the, the, the whole key of everything here is how can we be better with the data that we have to drive better outcomes? Because anybody that's taking medication at these points in time, they're doing it because they're facing a disease state that they've had problems managing without this medication. And as we know, medication adherence is a major challenge. And there's a number of issues that come into that. Everything from basic understanding, the ways that you engage with them. Um, and the truth is, is that patients want access to this information. But who's been the one ultimately responsible for supporting patients in that journey? And I think fundamentally, Chris and I and Optimize believe that that responsibility really should be with life science organizations to help strengthen that because the clinicians themselves have so much on their plate managing the disease. The patient themselves are so busy dealing with the disease that access to information and engagement really is where the expertise of life science and pharma fall in to drive better outcomes. And we see this as a really circular and three-way partnership a lot between pharma, the clinician, and the patient. Rebecca, this question, I guess, for you, um, do clinicians kind of need more direction in terms of how to make the best use of these resources at various points during the, the clinical encounter? I think any of us can say that the experiences of how we're doing data management or processing within our healthcare systems along EHRs are a fragmented and complicated experience, right? And that the processes have become convoluted, too many clicks too often in too many places without being able to engage in the information when we need it and how we need it. So I think the responsibility and what we're seeing through Optimizer X is getting the right point of information at the right point of contact at the right time when clinicians are making decisions about medications for the patients in front of them. And that is what is needed. Perhaps not new technology, just better processes to drive efficiency at the right time that can be tailored for the right patient. And I think that's been a lot of the challenges in the current systems that exist and a lot of the struggle that we're trying to figure out at Optimizer X. And, and through our systems, I think we've had 12 different uh, upgrades this year alone to drive better efficiency with EA. HRs to make the lives of clinicians much easier when it comes to understanding the medications they're ordering and the new prescriptions and how to manage those for patients and get patients started on them. And, and the fact that during the shelter at home orders, a lot of patients weren't even going to the doctor's offices, but you know, telehealth really stepped into the, to the breach there. And I'm sure we can get into that uh, a little bit later, but you know, can you, can you take us through another example here? 
And, you know, it's interesting the point that you just made, Mark, because a lot of the programs that we're working on are essentially becoming a side channel of communication for patients. Um, and while many of these programs are automated, essentially they're, they're meant to be pathed down the patient's journey. So, you know, when they start this program, especially as uh, the, if, the, if we're able to catch them when they're getting their first prescription, which, you know, is sort of nirvana, you can really take someone down the channel um, and time these messages to when they're, you know, relevant for them in their journey. Uh, and we try to do that in almost every case. And one of my favorite examples, actually, Chris, is we had a, a very complicated new drug launch in the breast cancer space. Women that were very much at risk of dying in, in a very short period of time because of such an aggressive form of, of breast cancer. And this, this program, what it did is it engaged with patients at the times that really we knew that medications were going to start to make them feel ill and that they would discontinue with their therapy. And we knew if we could get them over that hump and also connect them, we've connected them with the nurse patient engagement support programs that they knew two times a week through these text-based programs, they could start messaging with nurses to get their questions answered. We saw 87% patient satisfaction with these programs. Patients that normally would discontinue therapy because let's be honest, this medication made them sicker in a disease state that they already felt sick on. But if they got over that hump, it expended their life expectancy. And that is the power of patient engagement programs. When you can help people get over the reasons that basically make them want to stop doing something because that medication can make them sicker. It makes it more complicated. It makes their lives more disrupted. When you can get them over that, that is the power of what patient engagement programs do that go on to save patients' lives or change outcomes. And that is one of my favorite things that, um, one of the things that Chris is, does extremely well is we've also democratized access for patient engagement programs via text-based platforms. Everyone has a cell phone. Everybody can receive text. And the truth is the vast majority of Americans do. And the difference is, is when you do patient engagement programs and you make them complicated or difficult to access through apps or websites, they just don't work. And so Chris has been a genius at figuring out how to engage people through them, building these programs that have really led to tremendous success in ways that as a clinician myself, I had not seen outcomes like this the way that he's been able to drive them. I mean, we've seen in, in the past that, uh, you know, one hurdle that patients face in adherence is having to rearrange their whole lives around the medication, the testing, if it's chronic illness, say, uh, instead of the other way around. Um, how would you say the industry is progressing and executing that shift? Well, it's interesting. There are cases, obviously, where there is a need for some behavior change, right? I mean, a lot of times people say we are in the business of behavior change, right? And I think what we're always trying to do with our programs is it's really about nudging people there. The neat thing about digital messaging is that, you, you know, you're not you're not forcing everybody to basically take everything all at the same time, right? It's these little changes made over time. Uh, you know, I, I worked on a medication where you basically had to take it first thing in the morning before you ate anything and then couldn't eat for a half hour. And it's like, you want to educate the person the first time on that. Then as they're starting it, you remind them and you remind them again and you, you know, give them hints and tips about things that they can do to make sure that they remember to do it first thing, put a glass of water by the bed, you know, have the pill ready, et cetera. And just over time, it becomes habit. They don't even need us anymore. Then we're really moving into how can we now support you know, other aspects of their life um, in terms of helping them make other lifestyle changes. And so what we try to do with engagement is meet patients where they are. So you don't have to digest every piece of information right now. And as a matter of fact, 
you know, patients are different. There are some who want to learn every last ounce of information about the therapy that they possibly can. And then there are others who are like, just give me what I need to know to get going and then leave me alone. And so we'll generally set up a program where the default information is what everybody needs to know. But then you put these other campaigns in there that the patient can choose to do. It's like, hey, here's information on, on this particular aspect. Here's uh, you know, information on changing your lifestyle. And then let the patients decide what they want to engage with as they move down their journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would, I would imagine medicine is at least 50% behavioral uh, and, you know, just figuring out what, what kind of patient you're, you're dealing with. Um, you know, as I, I alluded to earlier, the Komodo integration was impressive, but how uh, or what other new data streams or features are you looking to add as you evolve this communications platform? So I think that the, 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 the combination of real world evidence alongside getting information to clinicians at the right time, OptimizeRx recently launched Telerep. And if you've ever heard about this from a clinician perspective, there used to be five major medication things, the right patient, the right time, the right dose, the right route, the right information. And what we could never get to was the right information at the right time, connecting with the MSL or the uh, the rep when we needed to, to make these decisions. So when I was prescribing, I often would sometimes step back and say, you know what? I'm just not going to prescribe a new medication. It's very complicated to do so. I can't get the right information. Is this going to have a drug to drug interaction? Is this going to cause different kinds of outcomes? Getting access to that MSL at the right time is a critical factor that's been missing from that entire prescriptive one. And actually, the World Health Organization put out a huge report that prescribing actually the wrong medication is often leading to significant medication uh, challenges and errors and actually adverse events down the road because of all the questions that are going on. So many medications looking similar, new medications not sure how to do it. So access to the right information at the right time is some of the things that OptimizerX is really focusing on at this point in time to make sure that we're arming clinicians with the information when and how they need it to better serve these complex disease states. Because as you know, appointments are getting shorter. We're not seeing patients longer in between. The clinician does not have what we used to have, which was I knew my patients. I knew the changes. I was able to see them on a, on a monthly basis. Things are going longer. When things go wrong faster, you have to make decisions in ways before that you would not have done. To that end, how are you making patient engagement more human and interactive? Well, so there's a, there's a couple of things going on there. The interesting thing about data is everybody's sort of wrestling with what they do with their data. Our, our pharma clients are very much trying to figure out, you know, how they can connect the different data sets that are out there. It's a very siloed industry. Um, and so as we work with our clients, we see that more of them are looking to try to figure out how to make those silos work together. So, you know, in the past, as an example, uh, I talked about, you know, copay earlier as an instrument, a lot of of information comes into pharma just from copay applications, but it used to end there. Like maybe there'd be an email at the end of it, you know, or what have you. Well, now there's all that connectivity between the copay card adjudicator, the data set that's relying in, that's lying inside of pharma, and then potentially companies like us. And we look to try to harness those to I mean, do something as simple as time refill reminders, for example. So, you know, outside of, a, of the drugstore environment, it, we've actually seen that that can make a big impact it, uh, in terms of persistence can be up to 10 to 20% higher just with simple refill reminders on top of a base program. So we'll work with our clients to figure out how we can bring that information to bear in these programs as well. And I think one other thing too, that one of those pain points is, is this the, it's the start, right? 
you have clinicians that are very busy, enrolling them in patient engagement programs for a very long time has been in a step or three steps removed from the EHR. And OptimizeRx has brought that ability within the EHR, an ability to text back a straight message to the patient's engagement team to say, yes, you can enroll in a patient engagement program. And that way it starts within the doctor's office as opposed to six steps down when they've already gone to the pharmacy, gotten their medications, tried to start it, are totally confused, or on phone calls trying to figure out these answers. What I think we've forgotten about in so much in life science companies is the human aspect of what it means to take a medication. It's not as simple as what people think. Okay, they're going to go, they're going to start this pill, everything's going to be fine. The reality is there's a lot of challenges to starting new medications, everything from convoluted payer processes to which pharmacies can prescribe it, how many doses can you be prescribed, what side effects are those going to happen? And then on top of it, then thinking about, am I doing things correctly as a patient? We put a lot of onus on the patient. And I think what we need to start saying, in my opinion, and it's probably just purely my opinion, but that life sciences has a responsibility to the patient to support them when they start these medications and make it easier for the patient. The clinician is already doing their job in that. It's time that life sciences say, okay, as part of this thing, we have to make it easier to get patients into these support programs earlier in that entire journey because where they're often coming in is far too late. And that's why some of these patient engagement programs don't see the engagement or the onboarding that they should because we've made it so complicated for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I remember a piece we did a few years ago as a cover story we did on patient marketing. And the crux of it was a data point that we had that said, answered the question, is there a match between the patient support offerings that pharma is providing and what patients want? And the answer was sadly no. You know, so to your point, um, it, it is a, a responsibility for life sciences to at least, you know, be more in tune, more sensitive with how they can support the patient. Um, so that makes a ton of sense to me. Going further, you know, uh, peeling back the onion a little bit further, you know, talk about how you construct your programs a little bit in terms of how you meet the patient, you know, where they are. And I mean, I, I talked a little bit before about, about the different ways that we construct programs, but the other things that we do that I think uh, can add to that are we don't just focus on the, on the clinical aspects. So um, we have things like campaigns about uh, bringing gratefulness into your life, inspirational quotes, especially for oncology patients, people and everybody needs a little lift once in a while, just the simple idea of being able to send a keyword and get a message back um, of support. But another thing is language use. A lot of these programs have to be automated, right? There are certainly human aspects of them, but also they're automated. The way that you talk in a automated message, if it still feels personal, uses the person's name, um, maybe addresses something that may be going on. This is why understanding the patient journey is so important and creating some sympathy with that while delivering a message can go a long way to making people feel supported, feeling like someone cares, feeling like the pharma sponsor cares, which is obviously hugely important. Um, and that they're getting the support that they need. I'm actually encouraged because in, in all of my interactions in recent times, the brand team, the patient marketing team, we're all trying to figure out how to leverage all these different programs that the client is making available through, even if it's our program, we're always making sure that we're letting the patient know that if they need nurse support, that it's there. You know, obviously if they need financial access, that's available to them and continuing to communicate those things over the course of the program. 
And, you know, to that point, I think that there's um, health literacy is such a factor. The average reading level in the United States is at a fifth grade reading level, but most material that's produced is at a 10th grade reading level. So you discharge somebody with a list of medication and instructions and you send that home with them to read. The reality is the vast majority of these patients are going to comprehend that information. Patient engagement programs are designed in a way that it breaks down information that are very complex terms into that level that people can absolutely absorb. So if that means that there's written content, it can be video content, it can be imagery, it can be diagrams, it's ways of actually making this very important information digestible. The problem with us in life sciences is that we have forgotten that, you know, the people that are going to be giving financial assistance are those who are most also at risk of not being able to process the information in which we're presenting to them. So we're setting them up to fail at the beginning. We need to do better as organizations to say, hey, if 50% of our population, nearly 70% in most situations, aren't going to be able to digest the instructions that we're giving them, then we are not going to advance the ability for better medication adherence, better patient outcomes, better understanding and transformations of lives because we handicap them from the beginning. Patient engagement programs, when done via text, when done with health literacy in mind, in short segments with very different forms of communication lead to excellent outcomes. And outcomes is the one place that clinicians, payers and life science companies, as well as patients can all agree on is the most important aspect. So patient engagement programs not only allow us to be able to get that information to them, but it also finally allows us to drive the data that we want to capture to show to payers, hey, this program works, these patients are getting better, and we are doing something that you want us to do to keep uh, payers paying for the medication that life science wants them to be reimbursed for. Great points there. A couple that I'd love to follow up on. First of all, you know, when you talk about using gratitude and inspirational messaging and, you know, recommending healthier lifestyle programs in, in your communications, is that adjusted for diverse populations that, you know, the HCP may be, you know, seeing in their practice? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it all depends on how much information we have to be able to, to go into the program, but the depth of that information in terms of how far someone wants to go is customizable at the patient level. Um, we are always trying to figure out exactly where we need to go with that kind of information as it relates to patients and, you know, understanding who's going to be using this program, what their needs are going to be, and trying to tailor those communications for those patients. And I think it's critical. Um, you know, some of the programs that we were doing for were, were for neighborhoods of mothers that were all on Medicare, Medicaid, right? Programs on, on you know, on, on, on teenage mothers, things like this, the way they digest information. Things along this, when you're talking about patient engagement, you must have to understand your patient population to be successful. And um, those, I think, are critical factors for success. And to your point, also, as we deal with health inequities and disparities, we need to be very diligent in terms of recognizing them and knowing where that's happening. So the nice thing about the programs through Optimizer X, not only can we tailor based on specific demographic data, but by location and certain information to actually tailor these programs to make sure the right information is getting to the right patient at the right time. And the also interesting parts of it is they're all based on specific algorithms so that we can have things trigger or alert or get responses to, um, gather information back that would be critical. And one thing that we do very well also is that by gathering that data back and understanding if the patient is having a positive experience with the actual engagement program, we can adjust patient engagement programs being going forward. So it's this rapid 
iterative process that allows us to design programs based on the feedback we're getting and doing better. And, and, and Chris can talk to you, I don't know how publicly, about the huge success that has blown away some of our life science clients onto the number of script lifts, the number of re-ups on programs, and just the dramatic numbers that a lot of, a lot of life science companies have never seen before um, in this kind of space because of these patient engagement programs. And Chris, I'm not sure how much you can go into detail on some of that, but well, no, I mean, I, we talked a little bit about some of the numbers in that one program that I mentioned, but I mean, we've seen script lifts in the neighborhood of 20 to 30% on certain successful programs. The ROI on that is just tremendous, depending on uh, the drug that you're talking about. Small things can lead to very big results um, when it comes to patient engagement, for sure. And then just to follow up on a point that you made, Rebecca, just now about, you know, the data um, that can be used to maintain reimbursement for a drug. We've covered as, as a magazine, MMM has the first steps um, toward you know, value-based care and pay for performance type agreements on specific uh, brands. Uh, between pharma companies and payers. Last I heard, you know, a year or two ago, these were still kind of in the you know, ba baby step phase. Do your data help kind of provide the kind of uh, analytics that facilitate those kinds of programs? I think they're getting there. And, and what I mean by that is aspirationally, there is so much that's out there. And what we've seen just in the payer space in light of COVID, right? I don't believe payers are going to continue to pay for telehealth visits independently. But what they are going to pay for is telehealth supported programs along a disease state that leads to outcomes. So congestive heart failure payments. patients are put on a program through patient engagement. They leverage, they measure telehealth. They're actually tracking outcomes. That kind of information, I believe payers is going to get behind all day long. And that is the power of patient engagement programs that can be launched on programs like OptimizerX by Life Sciences to support, capture that data, and then also share it back with pharma and then their determination if they would like to go back and share that with with payers as well because chris why don't you give some of the stuff that you can capture in patient engagement programs i mean we can capture a whole bunch of things along scales and things like this um, that can actually speak to outcomes what are those what are the things that we can capture for example for sure i mean I, look in any program it depends on the program and who you're working with but you can track all sorts of information from patients and i mean rebecca what you were talking about in terms of we we are generally using that information to try and customize um, the program itself but certainly those tools can be used uh, to basically monitor how patients are doing um, and be able to report that back to anyone, whether it's a payer or a pharma or, or uh, the HCP themselves. We've actually done some programs where um, we'll track certain aspects, you know, patients' weight uh, in diabetes, blood glucose, how active they are, et cetera. And we'll actually build a dashboard that the patient can then access on their own so that they can track their progress and then actually bring their phone into their doctor and say, hey, here's my self-reported data from the last month. And now the doctor can go, okay, how adherent have you really been? Is this, you know, how, how do you reflect this accurately? And then they can discuss how things are going and make additional adjustments and changes. So we're always looking um, to collect as much data as our sponsors will allow us to so that we could do those kind of things. And you have to imagine as a clinician, Margaret, when I always thought I put a patient on a drug and that they would show up three months later, and I thought they'd been taking the medication every day to learn to come out that, hey, they're 20 pounds heavier. They haven't been taking the medication every day. This is where, to me, the genius of patient engagement programs start to add value to the clinician's life, right? If I could 
could ha- say, oh my gosh, six patients showed up who are on such drug who has this patient engagement program and gives me a six month retrospective of basically their journey on all of this. Suddenly I have access to data that I don't have. I can make smarter decisions. I can actually treat the patient and the condition in front of me as opposed to shooting in the dark. And that is the opportunity here. Like we need to be working better through our programs because the technology exists, right? The technology exists. Patients want to get better. Clinicians want patients to get better. Life science companies want patients and clinicians to feel good about what they're doing. So I just think it's just simply looking at the technology we have and saying, man, who's going to own it? right? Like who's going to own it? And it should be life science companies. And those that have been working with OptimizerX really are starting to value that. They're starting to hear it differently. And they're starting to see, man, it's not only paying dividends with potential payers. It's not only making difference in patients' lives, but clinicians are really appreciating at this point that they're walking in with something of value as opposed to, hey, can you just write another script for a new drug? That's great to hear that that's paying dividends. You know, obviously all pharma companies are striving to to be better at patient engagement. Your platform gives them one channel. What are some of the pharma programs that could see a knock-on benefit, you know, when they they do get better at patient engagement in terms of recruiting brand ambassadors or, you know, driving deeper engagements in, in other areas? Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing to me is that's the magic formula. If you, if you can continue to deliver to patients on your on your promise of supporting them and you're giving them things of value, making sure they have access to their financial offers and they feel supported for your programs. They're willing to do other things, participate in research in market research. As you said, become brand ambassadors. I have clients that will call us up once in a while and go, Hey, can you fire off an invitation? We're doing a program or we're filming, you know, we're looking to film patients in this particular city and you can basically reach out to those folks and you have the right to, because, you have a successful program that the patient's been engaged in and they're finding that they're being supported. So uh, you could do all sorts of things with that. Um, And I think, again, now that's another thing that's changing in the siloed life sciences world. A lot of times no one's sort of looking at that and going, hey, you have this open channel of communication that you can then use to accomplish other business goals uh, that you you wouldn't normally think of this way. So it's just leveraging, leveraging that communication channel you have with patients. And Mark, Chris and I talk about this all the time. Pharma is willing to do so much by email, but they that are not being open. The rates are really low. They could be doing the exact same communication by text that has nearly 100% open rate, right? The question becomes, what is the block between that mindset? The last thing any of us want are to be harassed, right? We're not talking about harassing 24 hours message. We're talking about really smart algorithms to drive it at the patient when they want it and how they want to use it. And I think what we keep failing to remember is a patient is in charge when you do patient engagement programs. They can stop, they can withdraw, they can do anything at any point in time. And more importantly, you empower them. Patient engagement programs that Chris builds, I really find very much patient empowering. It gives the control finally to the patient to be able to deal with their disease state in a way that a lot of people have never engaged with them on. They're scared, they're petrified, they don't know what's going on, it's costly, they're dealing with a number of other issues. And this is the one place that they can go specific to them and their disease state and get accurate information. Because I think that is part of the problem that we are missing in this world is access to right information. There's so much noise and so social media, on websites and community groups, here's the one place 
patient engagement programs right on their phone, presented with scientific backing, research-based information. Let's be honest, it's not information going out, and Chris can speak to this. The legal review to get this content out means that it is dotting the I's and crossing the T's in such a way that this is the gold standard. The best information a patient can ever get on their disease state is coming right to them when they need it. And the truth is, I think that's what everybody wants, right? Is we want as a patient, we want as all these other partners, the right information to be getting across to our patients. And why are, why are we not doing a better job getting that out there? Heaven knows we've seen a dearth of quality healthcare information this past year, for sure. It's interesting because if I could just add to that, you know, the, the, the funny perspective I have to all of this is one of the reasons why it took CareSpeak sort of 10 years to get off the ground is because, well, first of all, we didn't start uh, in the pharma space, but when we did, I can't even tell you what it was like trying to get the life sciences industry to agree to send a text message. It took years for them to sort of uh, uh, see the light and say, hey, this is a channel that you know patients want to be communicated to in um, and that are responsive uh, to. And so once that light bulb went off though, change happened very quickly and all of a sudden the interest level there uh, ratcheted up very quickly. And I think with some other technologies that are gonna come down the pike, we'll see faster adoption of those kind of things um, as well and, and get to some of those holy grail things that Rebecca was talking about. To that end, let's have another conversation as we begin to hopefully put this pandemic in the rearview mirror. Well, let's hope so. And I think to that point, Mark, you know, there was such a dearth of misinformation and we're seeing it on the vaccine front right now. We're seeing that foreign uh, entities are coming in and attacking our communications. Um, I think that there is a responsibility and an opportunity by life science companies to combat some of that community of misinformation. The people who are trying to hurt the people at the point of care at the times of it, we know that there's a lot going on in this world. And how can life science companies become part of that body? that helps combat the information and misinformation that's existing in the world. And I think patient engagement programs are one of those great opportunities to do so. And I think life sciences is, is, is the perfect stakeholder, you know, to take on that mantle. Okay. That was Christy Costanzo and Rebecca Love of Optimize RX. And it was a terrific conversation. Many thanks for listening. Come back soon for another one. This is Marcus Gwitz for the MMNM podcast. Take care, everybody. Thank you.